You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Gay marriage was legalized in Massachusetts in May of 2004. Six months later, December 26, 2004, an earthquake struck off the coast of the island of Sumatra. The massive tsunami kicked up by that earthquake washed over 14 countries and killed a quarter of a million people. Evangelical Christian leaders in the United States rushed to their TV studios, not to raise money for the survivors, but to assign blame on the gays. The Boxing Day tsunami was God's punishment for gay marriage. God was so mad, so mad about middle-aged lesbian Methodists getting married in Boston that God had no choice but to drown hundreds of thousands of poor brown people on the other side of the planet. When Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans, TV preachers insisted that God was really mad, so mad about all the gay bars and all the gay street parties on Bourbon Street. The gay bars on Bourbon Street survived Katrina unscathed, but nursing homes in New Orleans' Ninth Ward were flooded and scores of little old ladies drowned in their beds. 1,200 people lost their lives in New Orleans that day. Not one of them was in a gay bar. The Lord thy God is a vengeful God. It's right there in the good book. But they keep forgetting to tell us that the Lord our God is a terrible shot. All-knowing and all-powerful, but the dude can't find Massachusetts on a map or tell a nursing home apart from a gay bar. He is the Mr. Magoo of higher powers. Ebola, 9-11, the 2008 economic crisis, Hurricane Sandy, the fall of Rome, Hurricane Harvey, tornadoes, climate change, all things TV preachers have blamed on the gays. So if you want to measure for how bad this pandemic truly is, if you need more evidence that COVID-19 has upended pretty much everything, A TV preacher got on TV last week and blamed the coronavirus pandemic on the sexual immorality of straight people. The Reverend Irvin Baxter, founder of End Times Ministry, an expert on biblical prophecies about the end times, host of an internationally syndicated radio show about the end times, which are always just about to come, like a 14-year-old boy with 5G. The Reverend Irvin Baxter said this on The Jim Baker Show. I I hope this research is not correct, but I got it straight from the encyclopedia. It says that 5% of new brides in America now are virgins. That means 95% have already committed fornication. Now, God says, all do not be deceived. God is not mocked. No fornicator, no adulterer, nor effeminate nor abuser of themselves with mankind, nor extortioner, nor drunkard, none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. If we think we can just ignore God and live a sinful lifestyle, well, we cannot do it. And, you know, I believe what you're saying, that God may be using this as a wake-up call. This coronavirus may be a privilege, because I'll tell you right now, there's a much bigger judgment coming. It's in the Bible. So we're not to blame. For once, we didn't do it. It was all you harlots out there who aren't virgins on your wedding nights. You did this. 
Think of all the little old ladies who died in that nursing home here in Kirkland, Washington, who would be alive today if American women could abstain until marriage. The message from God, ladies, stay off the D or grandma gets it. It's important to note that God, according to Reverend Baxter, doesn't feel particularly vengeful about all the straight boys out there who aren't virgins on their wedding nights. The boys don't even come in for a mention. The Reverend Baxters of the world don't obsess about male purity because they don't want to own or control men's bodies. Well, not straight men's bodies anyway. They'd like to tell me what I could do with mine. And the gays do, of course, get an honorable mention in Reverend Baxter's list of things God doesn't like. We get a shout out. But it's so rare for an evangelical Christian to blame a natural disaster, a hurricane, an earthquake, a pandemic, on straight people that attention must be paid. And Reverend Baxter, I'll admit, is an outlier. Plenty of other evangelical Christian leaders have already fingered us. The preacher who leads a weekly prayer meeting for Trump's cabinet blamed the pandemic on those who express a proclivity toward lesbianism and homosexuality. But it is so rare to hear a Christian preacher attempt to blame straight people for anything. These are the same galaxy brains who blamed teen pregnancy on gay sex. It's so rare that I thought, again, attention must be paid. Reverend Baxter's comments are so out of the ordinary, so out of left field, so out of step, that they could only be one thing, a sign of the end times. All right, coming up on today's show, possibly another sign of the end times, author Tristan Taromino is here, and together she and I advocate for monogamy. And on the Magnum, Sarah Dysock joins us from early to bed to talk about sleeves. Also, a programming note, a lot of COVID-19 questions on the top of the show. Some of them are sad and depressing. In the Magnum, we leave COVID behind and we take some plain old pre-2020 sex advice questions. All that coming up on today's show. Before we get to your questions, we wanted to share one of the calls we got after we asked people to phone in and share their quarantine, lockdown, sex stories, sex tips, with us. We're going to open shows with these stories for the next few weeks, few months. We'll see how long it goes. But here's the first one. Hey, Dan and team. I live in Canada and I'm in an amazing long distance poly relationship with a guy who lives in Washington. We're both listeners and we love your show. We usually get to see each other two or three times a month, but now we're sheltering in place with our respective spouses and the borders closed. So we're having even more fun with sexting and X-rated video call dates. Sometimes when we have a video call planned in the evening, we'll send each other homework assignments that morning. Past homework includes write an erotic short story, record an audio clip of a sexy daydream, take a nude shower selfie, list your top 10 spank bag scenarios, or this week he sent me a link to a porn video he knew I'd enjoy and I found one for him. Definitely be trying that one again soon. Basically an entire day of foreplay guarantees incredible cam sex when we finally start our call plus we feel connected all day and get even more ideas about what turns each other on and how we want to play next time if this gets played call belt baby love you that was really wonderful thank you for phoning that in everybody else listening if you have a sex story sex tips for getting through the lockdown give us a buzz 206-302-2064 and share it we might open the show with it next week Hi, Dan, 38-year-old cis female, bisexual, living in a large European city and a super long-time listener of the show. And I need some quarantine survival skills. 
Basically, I'm super nervous about phone sex, but I'm in a long distance relationship and all of our upcoming trips have been canceled due to this pandemic and our borders are even closed indefinitely. So it's time to get creative. But here's the deal. I just feel like phone video sex is super performative and that when I'm really masturbating, I'm not cute at all. Like my face is smashed into the pillow and I'm ugly groaning and humping myself and there's like tools everywhere. And I just feel like with the video or the phone sex, like I'm supposed to please my partner and then also there's like pressure to come at a certain time and I don't know, I'm in my head about it and the whole thing just makes me nervous. But it's time to try. And so I just love some advice you could give on like ways to get more comfortable or like be better at it or really enjoy phone sex since this is obviously a tool a lot of us need right now. Also, one more thing I'd like to mention, everyone keeps talking about how they're locked in their houses with their loved ones and how hard it is, but I just wish so much I was locked in my house right now with my arguing with my loved one. And there are millions of people around the world that are actually separated and worried about the ones that they love. And so I just think it would be nice also for you to just touch on LDRs and give us all some just general advice about, you know, how to get through this so far away from the ones we love. I was talking or swapping direct messages with a friend yesterday, last night, who's a hugger. Thankfully, we don't live in the same city, so I'm not subjected to his hugs often. I'm not a hugger. We joke about it. He's a hugger. I'm not a hugger. And it's been 10 days since anyone's touched him. He lives alone and his fiance lives in Europe and they fly back and forth to see each other as often as they can. But my friend right now because of stay home, stay home, lockdown, lockdown, who needs touch, who's a hugger for a reason and a consensual hugger, doesn't hug me, knows I don't like it, leaves me alone, hugs other people, literally hasn't been physically touched in 10 days and it's kind of making him crazy. And so to everyone out there who is alone right now because you're in an LDR and you're lover or partner is far, far away or is alone right now because you're single but cut off from human interactions, from human touch, this non-hugger aches for you, for everyone right now who is isolated. We also should take a moment to acknowledge people who are trapped with quote-unquote loved ones that they don't like very much. There are some people out there who are now locked down with partners that they were able to tolerate because they could leave the house every day for hours and hours and hours and go to work. There was a huge spike in divorce filings in China in areas that had been locked down after the lockdown was lifted. I expect that rather than the baby boom, some predicted what we're going to see is a huge spike in divorce filings because some people are trapped at home, not with their loved ones, but with their unloved ones that they've been pretending are their loved ones. And that's a lot of work that requires a lot of effort. And people who are looking at an indefinite lockdown right now may be despairing. As we've seen in China and South Korea, places that have been locked down earlier, they're beginning to lift those lockdowns and allow people to get back out in the world. So this lockdown, if we do it right and we're successful, won't be forever. Maybe months, maybe weeks, but not forever. So please, whether you're alone and pining for someone or locked in a room with someone you'd rather not be locked in a room with or just alone, please know that this too shall pass. All right. About your question about 
phone calls about video conferencing, which is being recommended by many, many people to people who are home alone and whose lovers are on the other side of the world or the other side of town or across the street. Get online. Masturbate. The trick is, and I think the answer for you is to find the kind of getting online, the kind of phone or video sex that works for you. And if you have a masturbatory style where you are not so into your look or your head is pressed into the pillow or there's too many toys and implements flying around for you to pay attention to the the video conference going on, the option for you is to just have phone sex, to put the phone on speaker and allow your lover to listen and you'll be able to talk and you won't have to be self-conscious then about your appearance. And then after you come – Jump online or before you come, do this first. You can jump online with your lover, get on a video conference. You can watch them masturbate, encourage them dirty talk while they're seeing you at your most composed because you are not masturbating. You are sitting up pretty for the camera. What are the impressions people get from watching people have sex? Film and television and a lot of shitty pornography out there is that when sex is good, when it's working, people come at the exact same time. And Anybody who's had sex, had enough sex, knows that that's just rarely the case. Sometimes you come simultaneously and you're like, wow, that was really great. That was kind of like in the movies or in porn. But usually one person comes and then the other person stays in the game and gets the other person off. And part of being an adult functioning human with realistic expectations around sex is letting go of that. You have to come simultaneously, which puts a lot of pressure on women to fake orgasms uh, or it wasn't good sex. Well, what applies to in-person, non-pandemic sex when you're with somebody in the same room having sex applies when you're having phone sex or video chat sex. You don't have to come at the same time. One person can put their effort into getting the other person off and then you can switch roles or wait a few hours or take turns a day later. But you'll have better phone sex, better video chat conferencing sex, better Zoom sex, I think we should start calling it. And you will have better in-person sex once we can all get back together in person with our LDRs if you don't get hung up on coming at the same time. Hey, Dan. Quick question for you. My partner and I are having a little COVID-19 debate over here. We want to know, do people have more sex during world crises like this when they're in close proximity and get to be cooped up with each other, or do they have less? He thinks that there was a baby boom after 9-11 because people were afraid to go out and they capitalized on their free time by fucking. And he kind of thinks that this might be a similar situation where people are all self-quarantining and just having tons of sex. But I, on the other hand, believe that people might pull away from each other a bit because there's a lack of privacy and autonomy after being in close proximity with their partner or partners for a while. So please let me know what you think. We really don't care who wins. We just want to know your thoughts. Terror sex is a thing. I think people talked about in the wake of 9-11. There were a lot of reports about people pouring into bars and clubs, which we can't do now, although we are terrorized at the moment, uh, and hooking up with randos because tomorrow the world might end. There wasn't, however, a post-9-11 baby boom. There wasn't a baby boom nine months after 9-11. Snopes.com covered it, post-9-11 baby boom. Hospitals experienced a sharp increase in births nine months after 9-11 is the claim, and the rating from Snopes is false. Didn't happen. So people were having a lot of terror sex and panic sex and hooking up because the world might end sex. People were being careful to use birth control or have anal. 
Will we see a baby boom nine months from now? If 9-11 is any measure, the answer is probably not. And people are facing a lot of uncertainty, particularly in a country like the United States of America, where having a child, you don't get a lot of support. You don't get a lot of parental leave. You don't get cash payments like you do in other countries. There isn't childcare that's cheap or readily available. And a lot of people are losing their jobs right now. And unemployed people who fear for themselves and their future tend not to be people who want to bring a lot of kids into the world. So I think it is unlikely that we will see a baby boom nine months from now. That doesn't mean people aren't hooking up. That doesn't mean people aren't getting it on with the people that they are locked up with at the moment. I think there is a lot of tension-relieving sex and masturbation and online sex and phone sex going on at the moment, but condoms are being used, birth control is being used, and buttholes are being used. Hey, Dan. Um, You took a call last week about how to survive quarantine with your partner, but I have the opposite problem. So I live in Europe and my partner lives in Asia and he has underlying health conditions and I'm, I'm already really afraid for him and I'm especially afraid because he's in a country that has closed its borders So even if he did get sick, there's no way I could get to him. And on top of that, I keep worrying that as long as this is going on, I won't be able to see him at all because of travel restrictions and also because I'm just terrified of getting him sick by bringing an infection myself. I haven't seen him since August of last year because of work, and I was just planning a trip for this summer when the pandemic happened. So now I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to see him for like six months or a year So how do I manage my coronavirus-related anxiety without putting too much stress on my partner? How do I figure out the appropriate amount of anxiety to express to him when I need support to get through this and how much to keep to myself? Because he's perfectly aware he's vulnerable and me saying that I'm scared for him doesn't help. So I really try to manage this on my own, but I'm also freaking out when I have anxiety anyway and I'm on medication, but therapy isn't an option in the country where I live. So I also have to sort out you know, what's the best thing for me to do? I'm terrified of this going on for months or a year and I'm lonely and scared and I feel really selfish for thinking about me when his life is in danger. Do you have any advice? There's a balance you have to strike between being honest about where you're at and how you're feeling and not just turning every phone call with your partner. And I'm really sorry that you're parted from him right now, that you're separated from him right now not turning every phone call you have with your partner into basically a crank up our anxiety fest. I think if you can acknowledge that you're anxious and worried for him at the start of a phone call and then set that aside, because of course you are. We are all anxious. All of us all over the world are anxious. And all of us who have friends or relatives or lovers or partners in a high risk group are especially worried for our friends, lovers, partners, parents, grandparents in those high risk groups. So you can regard that just as a baseline. And I think if you got on the phone with your partner and you could just acknowledge, I'm worried for you and I'm anxious. Now let's talk about something else, but acknowledging the anxiety and that that exists and it's thrumming there in the background may make it easier for you to turn the topic, turn the conversation to other things, to memories, to things you've enjoyed together in the past and to Plans, even if they're hypothetical and conditional right now, plans for when you get together in the future and the things you're going to do and enjoy together. And of course, the phone sex or video conference chat sex that you guys can have now. You don't want to bottle your anxiety up. You say you're on meds and you say therapy isn't an option. 
you must have a friend. There must be a friend that you have somewhere in the world that you could call in a favor and say, I need to, I need to just let it rip. I need to vent the, the full intensity, uh, fear and volume of my anxiety right now. Can you just listen and say, uh-huh, uh-huh I'm so sorry, and let me go because I don't want to blow up like this at my partner because he's anxious enough, but I need to let it out. I need someone to hear me. And you can be that person for your friend who is probably also anxious and you can have a designated survivor of your panic attacks. You can have someone in your life that you get on the phone and you just wallow in your anxiety. That person, as you rightly intuit, shouldn't be your partner because he's anxious enough. But you can't pretend not to feel what you're actually feeling. It'll help though. I promise you. It's I'm doing this in my life. It'll help if you get on the phone with your partner and just say, I'm worried and anxious and now let's talk about – Talk about the books you're reading. Talk about the Netflix shows you're watching. Talk about other things and you'll be able to have those conversations more easily and in a more relaxed fashion if you can acknowledge how anxious you are at the start. Hello, Dan. My boyfriend uh, works at a grocery store in our town and uh, works there seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day now because of the corona panic and buying frenzy. So anyway, he comes home to his house. We don't live together. And then he sometimes comes over to my place. And he's very healthy. He does uh, nose cleaning and um, everything. But I am told that people can be silent carriers. So I'm wondering if I should be leaving him out of my home for the time being and letting him stay at his house and uh, only... Well, like you say, six feet apart. If he does come over, no touching, kissing or anything because he's working in the food industry five days a week. I'm very curious. This is going to seem like it's from left field, but it's not. Did everyone catch Angela Merkel's speech? Angela Merkel gave a speech. Angela Merkel looked into the camera and addressed the German Nation. This is not something that Angela Merkel, the German chancellors do. Germany has a president. The German president is the head of state. The chancellor is kind of like the prime minister. And the chancellor doesn't give a lot of big speeches, you know, from the Oval Office, like those horrible speeches we've been subjected to with Donald Trump's ugly fucking face talking at us. It's not something Angela Merkel personally seems to enjoy. It's not in her skill set. It's also not something chancellors do very often, but she did it. She gave a speech to the nation and it was the speech we wish we could hear from our leader that we will not hear because it was serious. It was informed by facts and it was bracing and Oh my God. If you didn't see it, New York Magazine posted it. I posted it to Slog, the stranger's blog. If you just look on YouTube, you will find Angela Merkel's speech about the coronavirus. I found it very helpful to watch. It helped soothe my anxiety about corona and about the lockdown to watch Angela Merkel give a speech. It made me miss having a real president. So I borrowed Germany's chancellor for 17 minutes. You might want to as well. One of the most moving moments in the speech was when Angela Merkel was encouraging people not to do what a lot of people are doing right now, which is to panic buy, to rush into supermarkets and buy everything, buy up all the toilet paper, buy up all the canned food, buy up all everything because 
supply chains are not being interrupted. There's food in the stores. I'm in Seattle. We got hit first in the United States. And I go to the grocery store as infrequently as I possibly can. But we go to the grocery store and there's plenty of milk, plenty of eggs, plenty of soup, plenty of pasta. There was even toilet paper. If we're not having food and TP shortages here, I promise you, you're not going to have them in Topeka. I promise you, you're not going to have them in Champaign, Illinois. So no need to panic buy. However, panic buying is about the only thing in our economy that's creating jobs right now. Supermarkets are hiring and keeping staff on 24-7 to restock shelves because people are taking a lot of soup home. And we're not running out, which means you don't have to take a lot of soup home, but people are. And I guess the upside of all the panic buying is that your boyfriend still has a job and some job security. And the supermarket where your boyfriend works is probably hiring. All right, what to do? Your boyfriend is in an environment where he is being exposed to many people all day long. It would probably be best if you wanted to err on the side of safety for you not to see him, for him not to come over. You have to do a risk-benefit analysis, though, about what kind of risk, what level of risk you're comfortable with. There are people out there whose partners are ER doctors, whose partners are medical professionals, who are treating people who have COVID, who are on the front lines of this, fighting the pandemic, and they go home to partners, spouses, children. Some doctors have chosen to isolate themselves. I read about one doctor who's living in the apartment over the garage and not interacting with his family. Others are stripping naked on the porch, putting their clothes in the laundry immediately and taking a hot shower before they see or touch anyone. Just strip naked on the porch, march upstairs, hot shower, but then interacting with their families. Anyway, not just doctors on the front lines who are facing these sorts of choices, but also nurses and staff in hospitals who are on the front lines fighting the coronavirus pandemic and facing these sorts of choices and then going home to family and making an informed risk-benefit analysis and then deciding what level of risk they're willing to shoulder versus the benefit of human contact. Your boyfriend has a really stressful job right now. Is getting together with you helping him deal with that stress? You are isolated right now. Is getting together with him, him being your one person who enters your living space right now, is that helping you deal with your stress? Are there measures you can take to minimize your risk? Maybe he comes over and hangs out, but you guys don't touch each other. Or he comes over, strips down, clothes into the laundry, into that hot shower, just like the doctor I know. But at the end of the day, you know, if it's just you two and you two are your own isolation pod except when he's at work, yeah, there is increased risk there for you. But there is risk in isolation and there is risk in loneliness and we need what we need to get through this. And if you need to be with him and he needs to be with you and he isn't hanging out with anyone else when he's not at work and you aren't hanging out with anyone else, it's a risk I would run to have that contact. For you to be his person right now and him to be your person right now may help you get through this. But if you want to err on the side of absolute safety, yeah, your boyfriend shouldn't be coming over to your house after work or at all. Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm a queer lady in a rural town in British Columbia, and I'm calling with a quarantine question for you. So I live alone, and I've been casually seeing a few partners, uh, one of which I've been seeing for over a year now. And my question is about how to responsibly socially isolate right now. 
So obviously my first option is to cut off all sexual contact with everyone and just masturbate myself into oblivion. That's fine. Or do you think it's safe and responsible to choose just one partner to continue sleeping with? If so, do you have any pointers for how I should go about having a conversation about safety? Like what expectations should I have of someone? Should they have no other social contact or sexual contact? Uh, Do I choose the guy who's best at sex? Do I choose the guy who's best at social distancing? Do you think it's possible for me to continue having sexual contact with someone during this really uncertain time? And I guess for me, it feels like this is just a much scarier and high stakes conversation about sexual health. It also feels really strange to ask someone who's been casual with me to suddenly essentially become temporarily monogamous. So let me know what you think. Or am I just being a horny asshole that needs to keep it in my pants until this is all over? Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Tristan Taramino, author of Opening Up, A Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships and the co-host of the Sex Out Loud podcast. Hey, Tristan, how are you doing? Hey, Dan. Doing as best as I can. Yeah, we all feel obligated to lie right now when someone says, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm a wreck and a mess yeah, and I'm bursting uh, into tears at random intervals. It's like the week my mom died. How are you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, when I'm not on social media, I'm feeling a little better, but then I catch a whiff of some headline and, or press conference or something. And then it like riles me up again. Right. I I catch a a Trump presser for a brief second or someone posts a clip and then I just have to go have some more pot. You have to, I have to gouge my eyes out. (laughs) I've only listened to one live, but like, it's, it's like being in the twilight zone. I mean, it's shocking. So much is shocking me these days, including some of the things that are coming out of my mouth. And that's why I wanted to have you on to to talk about this before we even get to the caller. (laughs) Opening up, you wrote the book on open relationships. I've recommended it a million times. You've been on the podcast before with me and thank you for coming back. Um, And right now I keep sort of turning over and over in my mind that Polly, is it canceled? Open relationships, are they canceled? At least right now, right. you wrote the book on open relationships. Are they off? I want to. I want to go on the conservative side of things here and say yes. I know it's crazy, but unless you live with all of your partners, mm-hmm. you're actually not supposed to be having anyone over to your house. You're not supposed to be going to other people's houses, and so. Technically, the only person you can be having sex with is yourself and members of your household. That doesn't mean we're all monogamists now because some people have more than no. one other member of their household. There are people in established poly triads right. who all live together. Uh, and it's fine mm-hmm. for those people. If you, you know, if you live with somebody and you're sharing a space with them, if they get it, you're probably going to get it or you're definitely going to be exposed. And so there's no need to keep your hands off each other if it's someone no, you live with. No, not at all. But you're not going to be able to sustain some 15-member polycule at the moment safely or bring in new partners. I mean, you can sustain or... it. No, no, no. That's <laughs> an important point. You can sustain it on Zoom, but yeah. Right. You yeah. don't have to abandon your other lovers. But you can't, if they don't live with you, see them right now, much less fuck them right now. 
that's my recommendation. Does that sound crazy? No, no, no. no it does. It's not crazy. It's it, it's it's necessary, but it's just it's hard for you people <laughs> like you and me to say because we have battled for so long the stigma and shame and judgment and condemnation of open relationships or non-monogamous relationships or polyamorous relationships, that it just feels so weird to be put in a corner by this virus and have to say, yeah, we're all monogamists now. Everybody, monogamy is like the thing we're doing at least for the next month. And it's just really hard to to to, to say that. I'm the sexual adventure guy. Go on a sexual adventure together guy. And I'm having to say, yeah, no, no sexual adventures except uh, in your head or online. Yeah, or with only people who live in your house. So hopefully you have a lover who lives in your house or, an, a, you know, a willing roommate. But then, you know, th- you know, the other part of this that feels kind of gross is that it somehow reinforces the sort of idea that you should live with a partner, which not everyone wants to live with a partner, including a love and committed partner. Mm. And so I feel like there's some weird heteronormativity, like rearing its head that is, basically, you know, prioritizing couples who live together. Well, there has been some advice. I I think I've given the advice that, you know, maybe even if you don't live together, you could live together for now because it's getting from your place to their place and back or vice versa where you're going to be taking a risk. You know, if you have to get on the subway or the bus or walk down the street past people who aren't observing the six foot distance rule and I want to murder those people. Uh, you know, maybe move in together temporarily, not because we all have to pair up and live in couples or cohabitate for our loves or affections to be valid. But right now, just practically, these external circumstances make that safer. So even if it's just a lark and an experiment, maybe shack up. Not because you have to live like the cleavers, but... That's not a bad idea. I mean, because... All the guidelines say, you know, mem- you, you all members of your household are excluded from certain things. And so if you want to move in together, that would be one way. I mean, I think, you know, the question comes from a place that I think all of us can relate to, which is just that people are feeling lonely right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was she was joking and saying, oh, should I keep it in my pants? And she was making light of it, but it also, I also heard this sort of undercurrent of, I, I want to be with these people, just like we all want to be with the people in our lives. Well, that's the torment of this pandemic, of this particular virus, is that we're all in a, a panic. We're all afraid. The impulse is to gather people to us at those moments mm-hmm. and, and to seek comfort. And we can't, and usually that's physically expressed. We bring people physically close to us, whether they're our lovers or not. We want to be surrounded by support. And right now that support has to be virtual. You have to text, you have to DM, you have to video chat. You can't get together. But before we move on to the caller's question, I just want the screaming headline. Dan Savage, Tristan Taramino say, be monogamous. Polyamory, <laughs> polyamory yeah. in person, face-to-face polyamory, canceled. Non-monogamy canceled. Yeah, our careers are over. Dan. <laughs> okay, so advice for this woman: Does she she wants to have one sex partner? She wants to do the right thing. Just pick one. Does she pick the guy who's best at sex? The guy she thinks is best at social distancing? And can you ask a casual sex partner to be monogamous for the moment? These are unprecedented times. So what I want to say is, there's no rule book. It, we're writing it as we go along. 
right? Right. We are. And so, yes, I think all of all of these desires are valid. And she can absolutely ask one person to say, hey, can we but I would like them to be in the same space, yes. like you said. Yes. So she could say, hey, do you want to move in? We've only been together for three weeks. Um, and then I'm going to also be conservative here and say, even though it might be the end of the world, um, I think she should go with the person she thinks she's more compatible with living-wise. Which might not be best because sex or best sex social is, distancing, but the person that no, you think I you mean, can have generally, the best time with yeah. when you're not having sex under the same roof, hanging out. Yeah, generally the people I have the hottest sex with, I could never live with. <laughs> so you want to go with just me. You want to go with best rapport, <laughs> maybe instead of best sex. Compatibility. I'm going to go with compatibility on this. Yeah. So uh, I also want to say to the caller, like, you know, she's worried that asking one of her casual sex partners to be temporarily monogamous at the moment is going to, I guess, freak them out or put them off. It's not going. They're not going to perceive that as an out of left field question if they've. No. been paying attention to what's going on. So I don't think the caller should worry about asking that question. You can ask a lover anything. You can ask them to stand on one foot for the rest of their lives or to stand on their head. They can say no. But unlike the will you stand on your head whenever we're together question, the can we like be exclusive for the next month question isn't going to be a surprise, isn't going to come from left field. And so I don't think you should hesitate to ask it. <laughs> No, we should, they should all have this conversation. Absolutely. And I just don't think it's a good idea. I mean, I'm picturing her trying to sort of say, I'm only going to sleep with this person. And then maybe he's only going to sleep with his like nesting partner. And maybe the nesting partner is only going to go see your therapist. But you see like how then everyone, there's too much right. contact there. Right. So you need to pick a partner that you are compatible with and who isn't fucking anybody else right now. Because Correct. Tristan Taramino believes in monogamy, heteronormative pair bonds, and shacking up. That's the takeaway. <laughs> That's the takeaway, Dan. <laughs> but we, but you only believe it <laughs> until this pandemic is defeated, until this is under control. Then it's back to yeah. uh, the shit we usually tell people to do. Yeah, then it's back to public sex, anonymous sex, all of it. Tristan Taramino, author of Opening Up, A Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships. If you're looking for something to read at home, you can read this book right now in preparation for opening up your relationship six months or a year from now. Also host of the Sex Out Loud podcast. Tristan, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Thanks for having me, Dan. And I'm glad we could commiserate about our shared torment at this moment, having to walk back all the <laughs> advice we've ever given anyone ever at least for the next month. Yes. Hi, Dan. I'm here with my roommates, uh, sheltering in place in California, and we had a question for you. So this might sound like a philosophical silly quote, but if you are, you know, if one person is on quarantine and another person in a partnership is, you know, for some reason does not need to be on quarantine or is working for a utility company or something like that, what is the ethical thing to do in terms of sex? Like, are couples now going to have to wait 14 days to have sex with each other or things like that? I realize all of this is just, nobody knows what's going on with this COVID-19 thing. But if anyone could answer this, I figured it would be you. Love to you in California and all of our other listeners. 
in California. We know enough about the virus now to say that it is extremely contagious. So if you are sharing a living space with someone who has to go out in the world because they work in a hospital, because they work in a grocery store, because they're keeping the lights on, and they come home and they have the virus, if they get infected out there in the world, you are going to be exposed and get infected. So you might as well fuck that person. It's not going to increase your risk of contracting the virus. If you're sharing a living space with someone and they have it or bring it home, you're almost certainly going to get it. Hopefully when your person is out there in the world, then it's safer for a pair if one has to be out in the world and the other doesn't for the one who doesn't to stay home. If your person takes precautions when they're out there in the world, social distancing, tons of hand washing, they're less likely to bring it home to you. But if they bring it home to you, they brought it home to you and you may as well have been fucking them that whole time. Hey, Dan. Um, this is a person in social distancing mode in Boston. Basically, what I'm struggling with right now is being in an apartment with a partner who um, I'm not sure if our marriage is going to work out. <laughs> I've been married to my partner for it'll be five years uh, in December um, together for six years. And when we got married, the circumstances were complicated. So we decided to give ourselves five years to kind of come back and reevaluate. I didn't think that that was going to be necessary, but I think it is. My partner, because of trauma, is not able to have sex with me. When we first met, I was 20 and basically like a virgin. I mean, I wasn't, I was basically a virgin. I just didn't really know what I wanted. And so I didn't realize that I wasn't getting enough from them. And now that I'm 26 and we've been open for a year and I've been able to meet people and have sex with people. I mean, nothing like deep and romantic, but definitely sex that's different than I've ever had before where I'm comfortable asking for what I want and I'm comfortable with my body. And so now that I've had that, I'm not sure that I can be with someone for the rest of my life who can't provide that to me or at least can't provide that to me right now and needs to work on it. I'm in therapy. She's in, uh, she's in therapy. It's hard. My advice for all the 20 year olds out there listening is please don't get married at age 21 to someone that you met when you were 20. 21 is too young to get married, particularly if you were a virgin when you met the person you're dating at 20. Caller, my advice to you is to make your escape plan. Obviously, you can't put it into action right now because we are all on lockdown, because you should be staying home. You can't be out there apartment hunting. But at least in your head, you need to make this decision, the decision that you are indeed going to end this marriage, a marriage that you probably shouldn't have entered at age 21. I wish you'd called at age 21. We had a podcast five years ago. If you'd called me five years ago, Instead, I'm thinking about marrying the person I met 12 months ago, the first person I've ever had sex with or wanted to have sex with who can't have sex with me because of trauma. I would have told you not to marry this person. If a sexual connection in the relationship is important to you, and it obviously is, there are people out there in companionate relationships where they have sex with other people and the marriages and the relationships are wonderful and solid and both people are happy. There are also people out there in sexless relationships where they're not having sex with anybody, not with each other, not with anybody else. Neither person is miserable. There's nothing wrong with that relationship. 
want to resist the urge, or we should all resist the urge, to pathologize loving, committed, romantic relationships that aren't sexual, where there isn't sex. Because it doesn't mean there's something wrong with those relationships. And we, God, we all know people. We all have friends who have relationships where there's a lot of sex and the relationship is terrible. So it's not like the presence of sex means a relationship is great and its absence means the opposite. But if one person is unhappy in a sexless or companionate relationship, it's not a good one. And it's not one that's going to last. It's one that's going to generate a lot of conflict. It's going to immiserate the person who wants sex and the person who doesn't want sex is going to feel pressured or coerced to be sexual, to save the relationship. So going to your wife and saying, I'm thinking about leaving this marriage because we're not having enough sex because I can't have sex with you because the kind of sexual connection we have isn't great could backfire, could result in your partner attempting to be sexual and then re-traumatizing herself because she's not there yet and may never get there. Better go to your spouse, better go to your wife and say, it's five years. We gave it five years and then we were going to reassess. I have reassessed and decided that I'm out, that I'm going, we're going to end this marriage. I'm going to end this marriage and a breakup, you don't need the other person's consent. It's the one aspect of a relationship where you don't need the other person's permission. You don't have to talk your wife into allowing you to end this marriage, allowing you to get a divorce. That's the decision you've made and they're going to have to live with it. I'm sorry and I'm sorry that the worldwide pandemic is going to probably force you to stay in this marriage a little bit longer than you might have wanted to otherwise, but it'll be a comfort to you. It'll help you endure this time. If you are making your action plan, you might not be able to meet with a lawyer face to face right now, but you can certainly meet with a lawyer on Skype. Hi, Dan. This is a longtime listener. I am a 30 year old female living in Chicago And I just started dating a friend of mine, and we've been friends for about eight years. And my question is around being more assertive when it comes to things that I want in the bedroom. I've asked him, you know, multiple times if he would be into being the one that's more assertive, the one that's initiating sex more. And he says that that's totally up his alley. He really wants to do that for me. I had mentioned a few times coming over to his condo and just, you know, wanting him to lift me up and fuck me on his kitchen island. And he has said that that is something that he would be interested in. He just didn't know if I would be. So I made it clear that, yes, I'd really like you to show some initiative. We've been dating for about three months. I probably had that talk with him about two months ago, and there really hasn't been any change at all. So I don't want to harp on him, and I I don't want him to feel like he's inadequate because when we do have sex, you know, right before we're in a, to bed, it's good and satisfying, but I need that extra push and thrill of passion that I feel like you get with maybe a new partner as opposed to someone that you've known for a long time. So basically you are being assertive about your need for him to be more assertive, particularly where Kitchen Island is concerned. There's something about Kitchen Island that that 
makes me laugh. We have a kitchen island in, in, in my house. We've never fucked out. We're pretty sexually adventurous around my house. And yet we have this poor, lonely kitchen island that no one's ever gotten fucked on so far as I know. And I think I would know if someone had been fucked on the kitchen island in my house. You used to hear people would talk about, you know, a married couple wanting to spice up their sex life. Fuck around the kitchen table. Ann Landers told people to, to have sex on the kitchen table. But now it's kitchen island. And it does seem to be a, a thing for some people that this is how you have crazy, hot, passionate sex. You just do it not in the bedroom. You do it on a surface. You do it in a place where sex isn't supposed to happen. And then it makes it naughty and thrilling. I think the thrill for you, though, is and what you're missing is a sense that his desire for you is so great that he can't wait to get you from Kitchen Island to Bedroom Savannah, that he just has to take you right there. And you need that kind of sense of being ravished and and taken and inspiring in him such a level of desire that he can't control himself. And I don't know if that's something a person can fake. Like a person, not that he doesn't desire you, obviously desires you, say the sex when you have it is good, but he may be a little bit more reserved or he may just need a push. He may need your permission to ravish you. You can ask to be ravished. You can climb up on that kitchen island and throw your legs up and tell him to get his face in your pussy. You can instigate the kind of sex that you want to have and then allow him to rise to the challenge. If he can meet your level of desire and passion, maybe you having to initiate, you being the instigator is the price you have to pay to be in this relationship with him to have the kind of sex that you want to have. Maybe he'll catch a groove. Maybe once you've jumped up on this kitchen island a few times yourself, he will pick you up and put you on that kitchen island himself. But he may not. And it's not that he's sexually repressed. It may just be that that it's not the way his libido works, that he isn't naturally a ravisher. But maybe if you, your desire to be the ravishee, initiate the ravishing, you can bring out, over time, the ravisher that might be in him. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Rescues. Okay, my boyfriend has a question about this sex toy that he heard about, but we can't figure out what it is. Please help us. Okay, describe it. It's this thing that the guy puts on his penis that is like an extra thick uh, sleeve with uh, adornments on it. Studs, bumps, if you will. I think it's called a sleeve, but I can't remember. But is there like a receptacle for semen in it? I don't know that. Maybe. But apparently it's not a flashlight. So we need to know what this is. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Sarah Dysock, owner of Early to Bed, Chicago's feminist sex toy shop. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Um, I'm okay under the circumstances. Thanks for asking. So I, I imagine that you guys have had to, to close the store, to close the, the brick and mortar, but you're online. Where the store is closed, um, we're online, we're, you know, running with the skeleton crew, and the orders are lovingly packed by me now, so um, we're doing what we can to stay afloat. It was nice to see the New York City Health Department recommend people masturbate, that your safest sex partner is you right now, and even acknowledged that a lot of people use toys when they masturbate. So folks who are home alone right now and want to get a sex toy can, can visit early to bed online. What's your URL? It's earlytobed.com and it's with a number two. So E-A-R-O-L number, well, early the number two bed.com. 
and you guys are still shipping. And so folks who want to spice it up for themselves alone or with their partners that they're isolating with can get a sex toy. Sex toys are still moving. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think they're going to get us through this crisis. <laughs> and if you order one now from Early to Bed or your other favorite feminist sex toy shop, you can help save that sex toy shop for after this is over. So if you've been thinking about getting a sex toy and you have the money, if you can spare it right now, please get online and go get a sex toy at Early to Bed. Okay, Sarah, this question they want to know what this thing is, but they already know the name for it, don't they? Isn't that called the masturbation sleeve, the toy that they describe? Well, what they're describing does sound like a masturbation sleeve to me. It doesn't sound like a specific one, and that's I couldn't tell if that's what they were looking for. It could also be a masturbation sleeve or an extender sleeve. So sometimes there's things that go over the penis that, the intention is to make the penis when it's inside somebody's body feel fuller or um, bigger in some way or another. And so I wasn't quite sure because they said the stuff was on the outside. There were, there were right, there, adornments think, on the outside. I, I, so. I think he meant adornments on the inside of the sleeve, like he said okay. bumps. Um, and they compared it to, you know, not quite like oh. a flashlight. So I, I think it's a male masturbation aid that they're describing, specifically uh, a, a masturbation sleeve. There are cock extenders. There are basically hollow dildos that you put over your dick. And so you can have a much bigger dick. And for some people, that's very exciting. And, and, and not just for people who, you know, have uh, smaller penises who might like to see what it's like to have a great big penis. But like a lot of these cock extenders, um, you, you, you know, are big enough for people with big dicks to wear who want to have giant dicks. But that's not what they're describing. I think they want to know about masturbation sleeves. Do you guys sell those? Uh, yes. And what are they like and why do guys use them? What's the what's the perk of a masturbation sleeve? So a masturbation sleeve and there's a you know, a whole different bunch of varieties out there, ones that look like body parts and ones that look nothing like body parts. Um, and the, basically it's a way to up someone's self-love game. So if you're used to using your hand or some other object in your house, um, a masturbation sleeve can totally change, change the texture. It can change the sensation of what it feels like when you put your penis in there. Um, it's great to just get some new feelings on your penis. It's also fun to use with a partner if you want to just try some new sensations. Um, there's little ones, there's big ones, there's ones that turn on, there's ones that do all the work for you, there's ones that, you know, <laughs> vibrate. So it's kind of a, a, a wide range of sensations people are looking for, but they definitely, I think, can help people have more fun masturbating. And the, the simpler ones are basically kind of like elongated tubes that you can put your dick inside and then you can roll it back and forth. Like it, it, it moves back and forth in your hand. You roll it back and forth. You roll it up and down on your dick. You put some lube in there and you roll it back and forth on your dick. And it's really just a sort of a, it's like a, an orifice. It's a gentler way to masturbate. I think they're really good for guys um, who have what I like to call uh, death grip syndrome, who've masturbated with a uh, really firm grip all their lives or have uh, traumatic masturbation syndrome where they masturbated by humping the floor or a mattress and are having a difficult time transitioning to partnered sex because, you know, the inside of a vagina or an ass or a mouth doesn't feel like a tightly gripped fist. But a masturbation sleeve, I think, more closely simulates uh, the inside of somebody. And and if you're trying to like get your dick to acclimate to different sensations, a masturbation sleeve is not just a great toy, not just a great toy for fun, but it can be really helpful for guys who are struggling with uh, death grip syndrome. 
We recommend that a lot, especially when people come in and say that they, you know, don't have any trouble having an orgasm by themselves, but they're struggling to have an orgasm with their partner during partner sex, and a lot of it is because of what I never use the term death grip. That's great. Now I have that in my <laughs> lexicon. But, um, yeah, it's something we often recommend. And sometimes, too, people use them that, to train their body if they feel as though they um, ejaculate too quickly or they finish too quickly. Um, sometimes people can use masturbation sleeves in order to kind of train themselves to not come as quickly. So it's a good way to treat um, what people call premature ejaculation or something like that too. So, and there's one specifically designed for that too. Yeah. And the, the, the best training for premature ejaculation is to find out where that point of, they call it orgasmic inevitability is where you're going to come. Even if your mom walked into the room with a high school marching band and the nun who taught you in fourth grade, you're still going to come. Uh, that point of going over the falls and, and if you can get if you can find out exactly where that point is for yourself and bring yourself close to it and back off and bring yourself close to it and back off that can help in a masturbation sleep is a great tool for that uh, one question that the the girlfriend had on this call is there a receptacle for the semen she seemed very concerned about the semen getting caught in a semen trap somewhere but in a masturbation sleep there's no receptacle for the semen it's gonna no shoot. no I mean some of them are open-ended so the semen can still fly out into the world, um, but the ones that are closed-ended, it just, you know, you can just clean it out pretty easily. Most of them have a way to run water through them, so it's not usually a big deal, but I haven't seen any that have like a reservoir tip, like a condom. So masturbation sleep, great toy for biomales and other penis havers. Do you have a recommendation for uh, the women out there, vagina havers, who are thinking about getting something themselves? Um, you, some sort of vibrator, you mean? Yeah, some sort of make a sex toy recommendation. I'm just I'm springing that on you. We didn't warn you about that, but a quick sex toy recommendation for the vagina havers and our listeners. Oh my god! Um, for people who have vaginas and vulvas, I highly recommend this uh, to try a suction toy. There's a bunch of different uh, suction toys on the market now, and they provide a level of clitoral stimulation that traditional vibrators just don't. And so it's something that can be a totally new sensation. If anybody struggles having an orgasm, a lot of people find that these suction toys like the Satisfier or the WeVibe Melt or the Womanizer can really just increase sensation. Wait, someone made a sex toy for women called the Womanizer? There, yes. English was not their first <laughs> language. <laughs> and it's, yes. And the first version of it was ugly as sin, but it is, um, uh, they perfected this technique of, I don't know what they call it, like air pulse technology, but it's a horrible name. I don't think satisfier is much better, but um, yeah, sometimes you have to look past the egregious names of toys and appreciate them for their structural abilities. <laughs> Is is there womanizer? Uh, okay, there are egregious names for sex toys. A lot of you, know, yeah. you roll your eyes a lot if you go to the sex toy conference in Vegas every year, which hopefully we'll all get to go to again someday. But okay. but I've never encountered one as off putting or how the fuck did that happen as the womanizer sex toy for women. Oh, it's terrible. And they redid their logo uh, like a year or two ago, and now their logo looks exactly like the Walgreens drugstore logo. So. <laughs> It is. It suffers from a lot of external issues, but... But it's a great sex toy, you say. It's a great sex toy. And don't hold the name against you know, it. Yeah. You, I mean, you can, but yeah, just close your eyes and don't worry about the name. Call You can call it Betty if you want when you get it home. You know, you can christen it whatever you want it to. But yes, so those, those are an exciting kind of new fun thing for clits that we're recommending to a lot of folks. 
Sarah Dysock, owner of Early to Bed Chicago's Feminist Sex Shop. Thank you for jumping on the phone. I've been thinking about you guys and your staff, and I hope you guys are all okay and the store comes through this. Thank you very much, and um, I hope that uh, you're staying safe there. Hi, Dan. I am a 24-year-old cis lesbian, and I have a couple of dating profiles that I use pretty casually. I browse a little bit from time to time, and I'll talk to a few people, but I don't have any big expectations. I don't really take it too seriously. I had a weird experience today, and I wanted your opinion. I got a message a few weeks ago from someone who, according to their profile, identifies as androgynous and agender, and I'm only into women, so I ignored the message. I guess maybe they have read receipts on the app or whatever because they messaged me again today to ask why I ignored them. I know I probably should have just blocked and moved on from it, but I guess I'm naive or dumb because I replied that I'm only into women and I said something like, you know, good luck on the app. They replied with a pretty nasty message calling me transphobic and saying I'm like one of those people who asks trans people about their genitals, which isn't true. I never asked this person or anyone else ever about their genitals. I blocked them, but what they said is really bothering me because I don't I don't want to be transphobic. And if I've done anything transphobic, I want to, you know, adjust my behavior. And I, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to like vilify trans or non-binary people. I just want to know if I need to reevaluate my attitude. They were pretty young. Um, it said 18 on their profile. So maybe that had something to do with their reaction. And maybe I should have just said that was why I didn't reply to their message. I don't know. But yeah, I guess I just wanted your opinion. Was it transphobic for me not to consider this person as an option or, or try to get to know them. You're a woman online on a queer dating app. You're interested in dating other women and you got a message from someone who identifies as a gender. You don't owe that person anything. You didn't owe that person a response. Someone who messages you randomly on a dating app isn't entitled to your time or attention. And I don't think ignoring this person was transphobic and I don't think letting this person know, this androgynous agender person know, that that they weren't what you were looking for was a hate crime. They weren't what you were looking for. Now, when this person brought up, you know, accuse you of being the kind of person who asks trans people about their genitals, I think what they're asserting there is that maybe you're one of those queer women, one of those lesbian women who's only interested in dating other biological females who's only interested in dating other people who identify as women who were assigned female at birth and have vulvas and, and women's genitalia. That is a legitimate preference. You know, I sometimes get a little frustrated because online you see a lot of trans people that I respect and admire insisting that no one is telling anyone that they have to sleep with trans people. But then I get calls mostly from a lot of young lesbians saying that they encountered somebody on a dating app who accused them of being transphobic because they didn't want to sleep with somebody who was trans. They didn't want to go to bed with somebody who had a penis. We are allowed our preferences. Homosexuals are attracted to members of their same sex. One of the earliest arguments that trans activists made was there was a difference between sex and gender. And indeed, there is a difference between sex and gender. And a person can have a gender preference when it comes to who they'd like to sleep with, who they'd like to date or partner with. They can also have a sexual preference, a preference around biological sex. And they're equally legitimate. 
Now, one of the things the trans movement has done is it's really expanded a lot of people's minds and a lot of people who thought they had a sex and gender preference realized they only had a gender preference. I have gay male friends who date trans guys. Some of them wouldn't have pictured themselves dating a trans guy 10, 15 years ago, but the trans movement opened their minds and they realized they had a gender preference, but not a sex preference, not a preference around biological sex. That's great, but that's not everybody. Some people have a gender preference and a biological sex preference, a preference for people with vulvas or people with penises, just as legitimate. And there are, of course, people out there who have a preference around penises or vulvas who are phallophiles or vaginophiles uh, who have no preference when it comes to gender, but they have a preference when it comes to genitals. All legitimate. We all get to decide who we're attracted to. We should be thoughtful and self-critical and we should express our desires in a way that is respectful. And we can all of us express our desires and our preferences in ways that are not mean-spirited or hurtful or dismissive. But we get to decide for ourselves as individuals who we want to sleep with and why and when and where and how. And caller, you didn't do or say anything wrong and you have nothing to feel guilty about. Hey, Dan Savage, uh, 30-year-old female here living in Asia. I have a question about general dating and sex life. I am a girl that... I guess not uncommon to most girls, find it really hard to come. I'm still learning how to pleasure myself. And so, you know, obviously that makes it even harder when I'm with a guy. I have been in relationship, past relationships, where the guys have been able to make me come consistently, but that obviously took some time and learning. So, you know, I'm newly single and my frustration stems around you know, hooking up with guys and being disappointed all the time. Most of the time, I would never come. And, you know, the guy will always come, get, get his orgasm. And it just makes me feel a bit unfair about it. You know, I'm frustrated to the point where I almost want to make a hard and fast rule from now, basically telling to tell guys, if I don't come first, then you don't get to come either. Or if I'm really desperate, then we would still have sex, but he's not allowed to come until I say I'm done with him. Uh, Mainly because there's many times where I just am left feeling used and unsatisfied. And I just want to find a way to manage that from now on. Is this rule something that you think is fair, feasible, what other ways would you recommend in me navigating around this sex dynamic about the imbalance of sexual pleasure uh, between male and female? I promise you, when you said, he's not allowed to come until I say I'm done with him, that there were listeners out there, there were guys listening, as you said that, who instantly got erections. What you are proposing, this rule that you're proposing, it won't work for all guys, but it is going to be a huge turn on for some guys. And those guys might be the right guys for you. So putting that rule out there, it may cost you some dates, maybe some dates, maybe some hookups when you're desperate. But it also ups the odds, if you put it out there, that you will land in bed with a guy who really gets off on getting you off, who prioritizes your orgasms 
in the way that you would like to see them prioritize. And rather than it being a chore or a duty, something he has to do, if he wants to come, it's something he's excited to do. There are guys out there who are into orgasm denial, chastity, having their cocks locked up, but getting their girlfriends or their wives off constantly using their tongues, their lips, their fingers, strap-on dildos even. So your rule could work out very well for you and you could find the lid for your pot. But I'm going to complicate this a little bit. You say you have difficulty coming. You say that even when you masturbate, it's not always easy for you to get yourself there. As I've observed before, boys arrive usually, typically, at partnered sex. Straight boys arrive at partnered sex experts on their own orgasms. They've been masturbating for years, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten years sometimes, masturbating. They know exactly what it takes to get them off. They know what their arousal plateaus feel like. They know what the point of orgasmic inevitability feels like. They're experts and they can walk their partner through how to get them off. They know what it takes. They know what to ask for. So many women, because women don't masturbate, because the culture doesn't encourage women to masturbate. Women don't, girls don't feel entitled to masturbate. They feel squicky about their bodies because of the negative messaging out there. The, the, the cultural taboos about women's bodies and genitals being dirty. They may not want to touch them. They arrive at partnered sex, not experts on their own orgasms. Many not even knowing how to get themselves off. And they look at some dumb boy, you know, 18-year-old woman having sex for the first time with an 18-year-old boy, they look at this boy and they're like, all right, make me come. And he doesn't know what to do. He's not an expert on her genitals or anyone's genitals other than his own. And it would just be so much better for all if women arrived, if women masturbated, if girls masturbated at the same clip, if they arrived at partnered sex as expert on their own you know, arousal plateaus and or points of orgasmic inevitability as the boys do. So my complication of my advice for you is you need to ramp up your own expertise about your own body, your own orgasms, what it takes to turn you on, what it takes to get you there so that when you're with a guy and you've laid down this perfectly legitimate rule that may excite him if he's the right guy, that you're able to show him what it takes so that you can give him the information and the tools if you need vibrators or sex toys in addition to his time and attention. You can give him the tools that he needs to get you there and get him off. Just laying down a rule, you don't come until I come, isn't going to make your orgasms easier to obtain, isn't going to make you likelier to come with a partner than you're able to come when you're on your own. So masturbate, masturbate, masturbate. Pay attention when you masturbate. Figure out what works for you. And then, yeah, lay down this rule. I've been with too many guys who came who weren't invested in my pleasure. I'm not wasting my time on those guys anymore. So if you want to get with me, here's my rule. You don't come until after I come or you don't come until after I say that I am done with you and your dick. Put it out there. But you're going to need to do your homework as well. You're going to need to masturbate, masturbate, masturbate and learn how to make yourself come reliably, perhaps come more easily, learn what it takes so you can show that guy, that guy who got hard when you shared your rule with him. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read the tweets. Melinda tweets, Hey, fake Dan Savage, to the caller in episode 696 who struggles with being a grower, not a shower because he feels self-conscious. Darling, there are almost no women out there who are looking at your flaccid penis. They're like aliens to us. Don't put so much stress on yourself. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. 
Julie Vecchio tweets, Hey, at Fake Dan Savage, just finished episode 700 of the Savage Lovecast. That was the best description of the hows and whys of social distancing I've heard. Thanks for bringing amazing guests here on your show. Thank you so much. That amazing guest, epidemiologist Daniel Weistreich of the University of North Carolina. We neglected to mention that you can follow him on Twitter. He's on Twitter at epidbydesign, and he's pumping out a lot of great and informative tweets. Everyone should go follow Dr. Weistreich on Twitter. And finally, Nathan Brown tweets, Dan Savage's failure to make a 700 Club joke at the top of this week's hashtag Savage Lovecast, the 700th episode, was a real disappointment. Sorry about that. <laughs> I should have done that. I actually have a framed 700 Club membership in my house. I will toss it up on Slog this week. But yeah, that was a real oversight. It's almost like when we did our 420th show and forgot to get high. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi. Calling your response to the caller who's recent boyfriend doesn't want to quarantine with her. Um, listen, if my sister that I lived with would leave me alone and take our dog away to go stay with like a boyfriend of not, no time almost, that would be really awful. Like your boyfriend lives with his sister. I'm assuming he loves her. They are siblings. They've known each other for their lifetime. And uh, they are a household with a dog and you are lonely, understandable, but you are insisting on a choice that would be very questionable to me. Upgrade your Zoom account, buy some books. Don't be such a brat. Hey, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. Uh, This is in response to episode 700, the guy who's been married for three years and has not lived with his wife for two years and she's living with her boyfriend. You know, you, the caller really reminded me of myself in some ways um, because if my experience is any guide, he probably has a lot of like repressed anger at her, which is totally reasonable to have. But for some reason, he thinks or has been conditioned that it's not okay to express that anger. And I just want to encourage him to learn to express that reasonable anger in a reasonable way and get in touch with it because I got to say like for sure he's got to be upset and angry and he probably just can't access that and that's going to hold him back in a lot of ways from being honest with the people in his life not just his wife I bet this is a problem in other ways he says he has communication issues with his first ex-wife and this is one of the reasons is because he can't let people know when he's feeling the way he's feeling because it, he thinks that it's not okay to do. You've got to get over a man and, uh, and learn how to access those feelings and communicate them. Hi, Dan. I'm calling uh, about um, episode 700 and the person who called in asking about hooking up with new people during the pandemic. And you guys clearly said that was a bad idea. Nobody should be doing that right now. And I liked the advice about taking your time with a romantic courtship and writing letters and sonnets. But I also was surprised that Dan Savage did not say for those who are looking for random hookups, you know, phone sex, video sex, like, why not, you know, whip out your dildo and ask somebody to watch. 
And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Better yet, even better, you can record your question on your phone using your voice memo app and send it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. If you are home alone and you are bored, but you've got some weed, you might want to check out Hump's sister film festival, Spliff. It's a brilliant collection of films created by The Stoned, for The Stoned, and it is streaming online right now, anytime, whenever you're stoned, at spliffffilmfest.com. If there's someone that you know who might benefit from a little bit extra Savage Lovecast in their life right now, you can give the gift of the Magnum twice as much Savage Lovecast, no ads, more guests, more questions. Go to savagelovecast.com and click on the gift box and send them a Magnum subscription to the Savage Lovecast. And keep your quarantine sex stories coming. We're going to dedicate a big chunk of an upcoming show to them. Give us a buzz, 206-302-2064, or record it on the voice memo app on your phone and send it to voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Let us know how you're getting through. Let us know about the sex you're having. Share your sex tips, how you're making it work during the lockdown. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Tristan Taramino, advocate for strict monogamy, on Twitter at Tristan Taramino. And follow Early to Bed on Twitter at Early to Bed. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week for my installment of the Savage Lovecast. And yes, while recording, we are staying six feet away from each other.